God's children said, amen, amen. Well, church, you can have a seat. It is great to be back with you. Great to be up here. Thank you. Okay. Okay, for the, if you're new, you're like, why are they clapping? I don't understand. In fact, I don't even know who this is. If you've been here over the summer, you're like, I don't know who this guy is either. And so uh, the, the elders of Risen Church here were gracious to give my family and I a sabbatical over the summer. And so we have been gone uh, really most of the summer, and we are so grateful. Uh, we were so blessed. The Lord had, has met us uh, and has uh, just profoundly given us a sense of his peace and his rest in the Lord this summer. And so we are deeply, deeply grateful. It is a joy to get to be back with you up here and open up God's word together. The Lord taught us a lot. Uh, the Lord uh, stretched us. The Lord worked on our marriage. The Lord helped us just pour into our children. It had been 17 years of full-time ministry, 20 years of ministry, if you include my uh, college years of serving in the local church as well. And so we were just so grateful uh, to get the chance to just kind of pause and rest and reflect on all of who God is in our lives and all that he's doing and all that he's calling us into in this next uh, chapter. Um, and so we are grateful. And so out of that, as Michael and I were praying, and we've been talking a lot about this next season uh, in the life of Risen Church, and so we wanted to start this, this series, if you will, out of the Psalms, where we're going to be looking at a different psalm each week, although this week is going to uh, just really set the framework and groundwork and be really an introduction um, of where we're going to be, and we're calling it Rhythms and Remembrance. And so I wanted to really set up the, the idea of what it is we're talking about here. What are we going to be getting into? Why are we calling it this? And so all throughout the Psalms, we're going to see uh, these songs where God's Word is calling us up as God's people to remember who He is to remember all that he's done for us, to remember his attributes, to remember that he always makes good on his promises, that he will lead us and deliver us no matter what we're going th through. And so the Psalms are really, each Psalm is this microcosm of, we, of us seeing, us hearkening back and remembering who he is no matter what we're walking through in life. And so as we walk through it, we're gonna see people calling out to God in a wide array of situations throughout the next 10 weeks as we look at a psalm. Some of them are gonna be triumphal, right? They're gonna be just celebratory. Some of them are gonna be very trying. Where the writer is, uh, is struggling, they are in deep distress. But regardless of the situation, we're gonna see God's people calling out to God because it is in God whom we find hope. It is God whom we find our peace and our joy and our love and our comfort and our belonging. And what we see as we develop this rhythm of remembering, and even in the, in the midst of whatever we're going through, of remembering who God is, we remember he can, he can be trusted. He is our great God. He will be with us. He will keep us. He will lead us. And so our prayer is that over these next few weeks through this fall, we as God's people, we as a church family, we as a community of believers would begin to anchor our lives into these rhythms of remembrance. Because so often we 
we have just one day just sort of colliding into the next and we don't pause and we don't remember who he is. We don't remember what he's like. We don't, uh, we don't remind ourselves of what he's promised us. We, we, we forget to even remind our children of this and we can feel lost and we can feel uh, tossed by the waves of the world. So we want to root our lives and anchor our lives in the remembrance of who God is, especially in these trying times that we find ourselves in. Amen? So, real practically, we want these next 10, 11 weeks to help us as a church walk with God in the everyday. Walk with God in the everyday to remember him. And in our remembrance of God, develop rhythms for our everyday life. Now, before you're, before you're like, well, I don't know, is that, maybe the Psalms do that, but is that, really, should, is that really what we should be doing? Well, I wanna make a case real quick in the introduction that this is not just something we see in the Psalms where they talk about who God is and remember him and help us get through our everyday life. This is something all over our Bible. Rhythms of remembrance, remembering who God is. During my sabbatical, I read through Exodus, um, and it was it, it's jam packed with action. Right, Exodus is forty chapters long, and it is the first thirty four chapters are insane. They're just, I mean, there's all sorts of movement. There's all sorts of action happening. There's um, slaves being set free. There's uh, there's plagues, there's Red Sea being parted, there's uh, mountaintop experiences, there's people uh, bowing down to idols, there's a recovery of, all, I mean, it's just non-stop action. And it's like one thing after the next, and God is showing up in miraculous, tangible, incredible ways to move the heart of God into God's people over and over and over again. And then, in chapter 35, it like comes to a stop. All this action, all this movement, all, this, uh, all these exciting, crazy, unbelievable things. In that final six chapters, it just, all of a sudden, just, you're like, oh man. Most of us kind of like stop reading after 34. Like, okay, well, let's be done with this. Let's, all the exciting stuff's over. But in chapter 35, you know what the Lord tells us to do? It opens up with Sabbath keeping. Slowing down, resting, and remembering all that he's just done. All that he's just done. So God says he's just moved in incredible ways. And then in chapter 35 in Exodus, he calls his people to stop, and he institutes this idea. He says, rest and remember all that I have just delivered you from. Because if you don't stop and remember, and you don't remind your children, and you don't remind yourself, you'll forget, and you'll end up right back where you were. Sabbath. And then it's, Six chapters of how God's people, week after week, month after month, year after year, develop in their lives rhythms of remembering all of who God is through Sabbath rest, 
through monthly uh, feasts and festivals, through yearly celebrations, and every celebration and every weekly Sabbath rest is a chance to stop and remember all that he's done and anchor our hearts to all of who he is. This is important. This is huge. So many of us just plow into the next week and we never pause and we never stop and we never remember all that God has done and who he is and what he's like. And if we do that, we uh, will just get tossed to and fro. And if you're maybe saying, well, that's a great Old Testament thing, but what about the New Testament? Well, fast forward 1,200 years later after the Exodus, Jesus comes on the scene. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, uh, he's sharing a meal with his disciples. And uh, they're reclining at this table, and he takes some bread. And he says, take this bread. This is my body, and it's going to be broken for you. In other words, I'm going to the cross. And then he says, uh, take this cup. And this is the cup of the blood of the new covenant. And this is the cup of the forgiveness of sins. It represents my blood. He said, this cup is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He says, so take this cup. And what does he tell us to do in taking the bread and the cup? As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember me. Remember what I'm going to accomplish for you. Anchor your hearts to it. Build a rhythm in your life and in your faith so that you will never forget what is about to take place. And remember me. And in remembering, it brings our hearts to worship him. If we don't remember that which he's done for us, we can't worship him because we don't know him. So he says, remember, anchor your heart to him. Remember me, remember me. Jesus himself gives us this direct way of building this rhythm of remembrance in our lives that is to produce in us worship. Worship. So it's found all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Now today, um, with my remaining time, I want to make the case that the Bible points as one primary way that we would remember him. The result of that is that we would find rest for our souls. Now, the purpose of my sabbatical this summer was that the Lord would grant to me and to my family a sense of rest, and he did that, and he showed up. And so this is just fresh on my mind, and I know if you're anything like me, uh, without a concerted uh, stopping and resting and reflecting, we just power through. That's sort of the American way. And so I want to implore us here today that it's baked into the scriptures that we would develop in our lives a rhythm and pattern of rest. That we would find soul rest. That we might pause. And it, it, 
And you might say, well, I don't have the whole summer to do that. No, but you can give a meal time that stretches maybe into a day. I just want us to get real practical as you're processing your life and how God has ordered you and wired you. Maybe take baby steps into this that you would be able to um, rest in the Lord and find soul rest in the Lord. Now, uh, I'm going to read out of Hebrews. I know it's supposed to be Zach made fun of me. He's like, this, I, th- is, I thought this was a series in the Psalms, but you're not quoting a Psalm. I know it's an introduction, Zach. Okay, we'll get there eventually. Okay, just relax. Um, next week we'll be in one of the Psalms. But I'm just, I'm trying to set some groundwork here. I'm going to be Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture, and we're going to unpack this at a very high level. We won't have time to drill down into everything here because there's so much, but I'm going to read this um, and see what God's word has to say for us as God's people that we might find soul rest. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. should be on the screen behind me as well. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. So pause real quick. So here, the promise of entering his rest. He's talking, he's hearkening back, the writer of Hebrews, to God's people entering into the promised land. So, And then he's going to point to it and says, this was good news for them. They had good news of hope of entering into God's rest in the promised land, just like we in Christ have the good news of the gospel and entering into the rest of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So that's the framework he's building here, and he's going to build upon this case of rest, uh, continuing through different, um, different things we see the Lord call us to. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard, they did not benefit them because they were not united in faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So now he's going into creation. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We'll stop there. So there's one question that as we, as, as we look at this text that the reader ought to ask themselves immediately that ma- makes itself very apparent that any honest reading that we would have to ask ourselves, what is the writer of Hebrews referring to when he mentions God's rest? The first 13 verses that we just read 
mention this issue of rest some 13 times. So this is this mega theme here. And it's a theme that he's drawing on, that he wants us to get, that he wants us to understand. So what is it then? What is it, this issue of God's rest that God's word is calling us into as God's people? Now, I think I thought about it like this, as Hebrews 4 is structured. It's anyone familiar with a Venn diagram? It's kind of these, okay, one person, perfect. This will make perfect sense. Um, great. Anyone, let's try that again. Anyone familiar with the Venn diagram? Is this a new thing? Okay, yeah, that's not new, right? Okay. Um, so it's these series of intersecting circles, right? And so sometimes they're, they're, they're set up different ways. So I imagine them, there's one here, there's one here, and there's one down here. And then the, it forms like another little circle in the middle, right? Which kind of gets to the very essence of the main point of the Venn diagram, right? It sort of drills down and they're all connected to each other. It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews is setting up a Venn diagram for us to understand the rest of God. Now, if I was really good at graphics, I would have made this, but I didn't. So you're gonna have to use your imagination. I apologize, right? So here we have this Venn diagram, if you will, that's sort of drilling us down into this, this point that he's trying to get us to. And it comes down to this essential element of truth that I think the Lord and the scriptures want us to know. And it's this how do we enter into this soul rest? Because we don't want to miss it. Now, the first one that the writer mentions, like I said at the beginning, this, this idea of rest that the writer of Hebrews is getting us to understand, he's referring to, on one level, the experience of a group of people who many, many years before, in the Exodus journey, made their journey through the wilderness and into this promised land, this promised rest that God had promised them, an actual physical place of rest, where no more war, no more enslavement, and it was this hope of a place that they could dwell and finally be with one another and with the Lord. There were many that didn't make it, as the text talks about. There were some however, who accompanied Joshua and Caleb that finally made it into this promised land, this rest. And as they were going through their lives, as they were walking through their lives, this thought, getting to this promised rest, would have been paramount in their minds. It would have been the very thing they hoped most for, the prospect of entering into this promised rest that God had promised them and was going to provide for them. That's Hebrews 4.1. In fact, this theme of their hope of getting to this rest, to finding soul rest as God's people, is all over the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 25.19. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you and the land he is going to give you to possess. This notion would have been pervasive in their minds. And to the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to a group of Jews, of Hebrews. They would have been very familiar with this. This would have been something that would have been baked into their very people and lineage. And so when he's hearkening and telling these stories, their hearts would be drawn to this. They would have known this that their forefathers had been liberated out of bondage. They've been told clearly they're going to a promised land. They're looking forward to a day when all their battles would finally cease. 
and the elements of the wilderness experience would be behind them and they would enter into the rest of God that he had promised. And some entered into that rest, as Hebrews tells us. But even in that rest, the writer of Hebrews is gonna tell us, was only a shadow of the rest to which God is referring to here that we might experience. Even those who experienced the promised land did not experience the total and full fulfillment of that which was foreshadowed here in the immediate historical context. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I would really encourage you to go back and reread some of this because it's so rich. I don't have time to go through all of it. This could be a 12-week series in and of itself. So that's circle one. Promised land rest. The promised rest that God has given to us. And he says, anchor your hearts to that. Now secondly, this notion of rest that the writer of Hebrews is having us understand that we would know and experience as God's people today in Christ is directly resulted to the rest of God following his work of creation. Verse three in Hebrews, right? How do we get that? It's right here in the text. And now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God says. Then he quotes the Old Testament and says, and yet God's work has been finished since the creation of the world. So he quotes from the book of Genesis about God resting from his creation work on the third day. Now, on the third day? Seventh day. You're like, wait a minute. You're rusty. I know. I'm sorry. It's been a while. I'm still working things out. Is it three days? Right, rose on the third day. You, you can understand why. It's, okay. Cut me a little slack. At least I caught myself here, okay? No emails. You can email michael at risennorth.org if you have any theological questions about that. So there's a, there's a number of things which are important here to, that the writer makes us aware of. Um, so he's, the writer is telling us that God's rest, this longing in our soul to not be restless and in chaos has been available from the very time that creation was completed. In other words, it even predated the exodus from Egypt. The rest of God, which is something far big, bigger than was even experienced in the promised land was actually the rest which God himself enjoyed having completed creation. God himself enjoys rest. That's quite a thought to kind of wrap our heads around, right? At least it is for me. It's when God ceased from his work of creation, he could legitimately rest. Why? Because he looked out and he said, everything is very good. I'm done. He did it. So he could rest. Now, juxtapose that to me, like when I ask my children to go tidy up their rooms. Any parents know this experience? Kids, go tidy up your rooms. Everything's, uh, everything's a mess. The bomb went off and the hurricane went, went through the house, so go tidy up. And they run up in the rooms and they kind of do their thing and they want to come down and like, can we play a game? We're done tidying up. And you're like, oh, really? You're done tidying up. That was fast. 
I saw the state of the room about 10 minutes ago. So you go upstairs and you're like, oh yeah, it looks pretty good. And you're like, well, what happens if I open the closet? They're like, don't open the closet. We just want to be able to play a game or watch a show, right? They just, they want to enter into the rest, but the work is not really done because they just shoved everything in a corner and jammed all their stuff in a drawer. Y'all never do this. I know you're in here. I'm not, you always do a great job, right? Okay. Um, it's pastor's kids' problems. They get embellished stories all the time. But the, everything is just, you open the closet door, it's like, right? You're like, oh my goodness. They can't actually legitimately rest because the work isn't done. That's not the case for God. In God's work of creation, he can legitimately take time to rest because he completed the task. It was a rest from the accomplishment of a purpose. It was not a getaway into idleness, right? I could preach a whole sermon on that idea. Um. And the reason that's important is because it gives us insight into another dimension of what the Bible, of what biblical rest really means. Um, there's an old commentary, a commenta- an old commentary that I read with an English commentator. And he, says, he says this, God establishes the pattern or rhythm upon which a man's life was to be built by following the cycle of his creative activity with a day of rest. So let's think through this just a little bit. I know we're going to get a little nerdy here. Um, Because I think this is totally alien in our American Christianity. That there is a rhythmical succession of six days of work and one day of ensuing rest. And when we do that, we see the principle on which all of life and humanity has been constructed. So in in doing this and in following this and in understanding this and in stopping and in resting and in recognizing and remembering God, we are reminded that life is not some aimless experience, but it goes beyond that that God has constructed a very order and rhythm of life and makes it absolutely perfect and then rests and purposefully pauses. And the writer, writer of Hebrews wants us to anchor into that idea. Is that a rhythm in your life? Is that something we ever even consider? that that is actually the framework and the rhythmic cycle that is intended for all of humanity. Because when you deny that, when you say, forget it, there's work to be done and I'm gonna get after it. It denies the very existence of the creator God. It breaks the link between a personal God and his creation. And then we inevitably deny any significance to his created order and how he's made it, and how he's wired us. And what inevitably happens is it opens up uh, every day just like the next, and they just run against each other ad nauseum, right? Because there's things to get done, and there's work to be accomplished, and we need to go, 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 and get. And I think that's where our friends and neighbors live. Uh, And sadly, I think that's where many of us live. Uh, It took 
a summer of intentional resting to realize there were places in my heart that were operating and living like that that, it, that didn't trust the Lord, that didn't trust him for the outcome, that didn't rest and pause, that said, just move forward and go. And God says, I've established this on purpose. This is the principle and rhythm by which life works. And so as a result, today in our culture, uh, the malls are open. The shops are open. You can go do anything today that you could do any other day of the week. Maybe not everything. Chick-fil-A, the last bastion of hope. (laughs) You know? Just saying. Can't get fried chicken. But the sports fields are open. Bitcoin trading is open, right? I mean, you name it. You can, the, every, life goes on and moves at the same rate. Why? The quest for material prosperity. And the notion that we would pause from work and trust the Lord is alien. The notion that the farmer would cease from his toil and trust the Lord with his crop is foolish. The notion that all the fishing boats would come back into harbor for a day and not go cast their nets out is, seems foolish. Because we say that was a silly old idea and it's not productive or practical. And I think us running in that way has created so much distraction has created so much restlessness in our souls. And it has ramifications through our hearts, through family units, through communities, so on and so forth. That's the second circle. I'm not gonna spend long on the third and then we'll close it up. The third, verse nine actually refers to it as the Sabbath rest in Hebrews. The Sabbath was a creation ordinance which placed a day at the end of six days that we would pause and remember and reflect and uh, think on God. Adam sinned in the garden and it became impossible for man to attain the rest of God by his own efforts. So God made a weekly rhythm for all of their human experience and for God's people to stop striving and remember God, to remember that God had delivered them, to remember what he had delivered them from, and to worship him on the Sabbath and to enjoy him. That the resting would show dependence on God. Without the Sabbath, people never stop striving. The problem with humanity, a lot of times we're like, well, people are, people are lazy or they don't work hard like me, but I don't, think the, I, don't, I don't think people are naturally bent to stop and rest and reflect on the Lord. God has to tell us to do that because our natural bent is to fill our lives with stuff. Now, it may not be productive, good work, but we fill every moment with something. Now, especially that we have $800 supercomputers in our pocket, they beckon for us to occupy every moment 
and therefore not giving the space to think on and rest in the Lord. We default and bent to filling our lives with either idle things that we think are important or workaholism because we've got to get it done. And so many of us, so many of us that I've talked to are exhausted. That's the number one thing I hear from y'all over almost seven years of ministry. How are you doing? I'm exhausted. How are you doing? I'm so tired. It's chronic. And the Lord says we need to rest in him. That's the third circle of the Venn diagram, Sabbath rest. Now, where does it all come together? We'll be almost done here. I know I'm going too long. Well, the entire book of Hebrews comes together in the person and work of Jesus. The entire book of Hebrews is written so that we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the shadows that were given to us uh, from God's people. And so that's very true here, that Jesus at the very center is where we will find soul rest. And if only Jesus himself told us a little bit about this, in fact, he does. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he tells us exactly what he's like. Isn't that what we really wanna know? Like when, any kid, hey kids, I know kids are in here. Anyone ever heard of Dude Perfect? Any of the kids in here? Yeah, okay. A couple of y'all know who Dude Perfect is. Well, not to toot my own horn here, but I know two of them personally, okay? There are, anyone here in the fourth grade? Any fourth graders? I've known Dude Perfect since they were in the fourth grade, or at least the twins. And everyone wants to know, when they find out you know someone famous, what, what do they always ask? What are they really like? Well, are they really as great as I hope they are? What are they really like? No matter if you know someone famous, that's always the next question of like, off camera, where, when you're really with them, what are they really like? Some, some people in here are like, what's a dude perfect? Ask me later, okay? I know, it's strange. Um, they're great, they're awesome. So uh, that's enough about dude perfect. But Matthew eleven twenty eight answers that very same question about Jesus. If you wanna know, what is he really like? Like, what is his heart makeup? What is in Jesus? Matthew eleven twenty eight is the only verse in our Bibles that tell us what the heart of Christ is. Isn't that amazing? He opens up his heart and says, you wanna know what my heart is for my people? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 tells us. It's this incredible verse where he tells us what he is really like. And he says this, Jesus Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is a yoke? Is it something in an egg? Now, what's he talking about here? It's a piece of equipment. A yoke is a piece of farm equipment that links up two animals together for a task. It unites two things for a common work. 
So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, Jesus is looking at us and says, do you want to experience soul rest? He says, take my yoke upon you. Get involved where I'm going. Be united in my purpose with me. And it's a whole life process of remembering and believing and doing what Jesus says. And Jesus says, when you take upon my yoke, you take upon where I'm going and what I'm saying, the teaching of the world becomes foreign to you and my words become life to you. A whole life brought into the rhythm of that which God is calling us into. So you think about your life. What do you spend your time doing? What are you gonna do today? What are you gonna do this afternoon? What are you gonna do tomorrow? What are you gonna do next week? According to the call of Jesus here, he says, do that in the yoke. Do that in my yoke. So many of us say, Jesus, come follow me in my yoke. That's not how it works. He says, you come to me and be fitted in my yoke. And that's where you'll experience rest. And that's where you experience his rest. And then do we find rest for our weary souls and it's only in the yoke of Jesus, walking with him and a life lived with him that we could actually ever fulfill Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him because you're in the yoke. You could do that no other way. That's the secret. That's the secret of soul rest. It's not idleness, but it's getting involved in his work. That's where you'll actually find soul rest. And one final takeaway from my time away this summer, and it's a very hard one to, it's, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. But when you're in the yoke of Christ, when you're following him, when we learn to trust God where he's leading us, uh, we can abandon outcomes because we're not in charge anymore. We can abandon the outcome and we can say, Lord, I trust you. I wanna walk with you. I wanna go where you're going. I want, God, you to give grace to me in humility because I know you resist the proud. God, I know when I do that, when I'm in your yoke, I can cast all my anxieties on you because you care for me. That's the rest we're looking for. The opposite of rest is restlessness, is anxiety, is trouble, is worry. Church, stay in the yoke of Christ. Stay yoked up to him. Pray every day, Lord, help me know where that is and where you're leading and help me keep in step with you. You're moving and I want to go with you, Lord. That's where we find rest. And we can let go of the outcome because Jesus is leading and he has you and you can trust him. And let's find and experience as God's people that rest. Let's baby step into that. What does that look like for you this week to take a small step of resting in the Lord and being in his yoke? Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray for these next few weeks 
as we open your word, as we see different rhythms of remembrance, God, that you would teach us practically on the ground level what it means to walk with you. And God, would you start a work in each of us that we would first and foremost stop striving and begin resting in all of who you are, that we would look back and remember your promises, remember your sacrifice made, remember the blood of the new covenants, and it would produce in us hearts of worship, and we would rest. We would put our whole weight of rest in you, knowing that you will hold us, and you will guide us, and you will lead us. God, I pray for those in here that you would help us as a church family develop a rhythm of meaningful resting in the Lord this week in a tangible way. God, would you give each of us a practical understanding to see that come to fruition in our crazy, chaotic, busy lives. May we pause and reclaim the very created order that you've created us in, that we would give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray.